Hey, Land Mavericks. In this episode, we have the one and only Travis King in the flesh. It's exciting. Yeah. So for those who might not know, Travis runs the Land Investing Mastery over at landinvestingmastery.com. He's one of the pioneers in modern land flipping. He's coined terms like the blue ocean strategy versus red ocean being the more terms deals, more common, have more competition, blue ocean being less competition, more expensive properties. He's come out with some of the most cutting edge strategies that are now staples throughout the industry, like range offer, direct mail campaigns, portfolio owner strategies, and like he's a mover and shaker and somebody that you definitely want to have on your radar. The Land Maverick Podcast. Everything you need to know to crush it in land investing. So without further ado, Travis, it's great to have you on the show. Travis, welcome to the show. It's been far too long, man. You know, I've been trying to get you on this podcast, sir, from like inception, and I just kept forgetting to like actually get it to the finish line and getting you here. And we're like 34, 35 episodes in, whatever it is, and we finally finally made it, finally came here. I'm an afterthought. I'm an afterthought, dude. I get it. I, I was kind of to the point we were so far into the Land Maverick podcast that I felt like maybe they're saving me for this epic 100th episode podcast. So no, uh, appreciate it, man. Yeah. Happy to be here, guys. I was actually like, you know, when you look at wake up, look at the calendar, look ahead at the day, um, I was pumped. I'm like, you know, most of the time I only fill my calendar at this point with things I want to do and look forward to doing. But still, there's some things that are like, okay, a meeting, right? I looked at this. I'm like, all right, this is going to be fun. Yeah. So looking forward to it. We've been doing all the big wigs recently. We did. We're doing you today. We did Clint a few days ago. We did Justin Sleva a few days ago. We got Sumner coming on soon. So we're batching all the all the VIPs are gonna be batched in the We'll take it. You gotta piggyback their audience too, man. It's a smart hack. I like it. Yeah, no, I actually listened to Clint and Justin as well and really enjoyed those podcasts. Yeah, those guys were great, great interviews, great guests. You guys did did well. Yeah, man. So for those that might not know who you are and been living under a rock, what's the like thirty thousand intro, thirty thousand foot view overview of Travis King, training, coaching, funding, everything. Man, um, well, investing, that's where it all started, right? Like actually doing deals, still doing those. Yeah, so I think where I'm maybe relatable to a lot of listeners, right, is that my journey started by commuting to work and listening to podcasts, right? So who knows? There's probably a lot of those people right now, right, where I was in real estate investing, doing single family houses, got, you know, destroyed in 08. Took a number of years to kind of lick my wounds, recover, right, from that. Just working the corporate world and, yeah, listening to commutes. Still, like, looking how to get back into real estate investing. And I actually heard, you know, Seth Williams on his uh, Bigger Pockets podcast, like, 10 years ago. Maybe, like, literally 10 years ago, within a month or so. You know, so that kind of... The ironic thing is I grew up... My dad subdivided land, guys. Like, so it's right in front of me. I grew up... My dad was a logger, a sawyer in the woods. He owned these rock quarries. So all of this, I mean, very much like blue collar work. But on the side, he would take all his profits and he would actually buy land and he would subdivide land. But nobody wants to do what their dad does, right? Or what their parents do. So it's really ironic that I'd end up in land. So I I went after houses for a while. But for me, when I wanted to get back into real estate, I heard about the way he did it wasn't like a flipping model, right? Like they weren't flipping anything. It was buy and hold, you know? buy and hold and then sell on on terms. But when I heard Seth on the Bigger Pockets podcast almost a decade ago, I was like, I like the idea of it being like a repeatable, like a machine, right? Like you're just flip, 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 right? Without putting all this money out like houses. So for me, it started with, and that kind of led down that now I got to research all the different options for education and YouTube University for several months, right? And then I got into land anyway, I, I got started my wife went all in with me from day one, right? That's that's kind of the cool part is that it wasn't like selling it. When I was kind of selling the idea to her, she's like, yeah, let's do it. You know, her background is real estate and mortgage. She worked for a mortgage company. So um, I kind of, you know, cheated in that I had like 
a second person, right? A lot of times you're trying to convince your wife or justify like buying that course or buying that coaching, right? Whereas her, she said, yeah, let's do this together. And the reality is that she's smarter, a harder worker, right? <laughs> than I am. So I'm like, all right, this is a good partner to take on, right? It just makes a lot of sense. So we started land flipping together and started with the real small stuff and self-funding everything and did that for a number of years. And then just got to a point where I replaced the job income and felt like, again, had kids, right? So I had two little kids at the time. You guys can relate, right? Where you're at in life. So I had, it's a different thing than being like single and just quitting your job for some side hustle, right? When you got kids and you're married, it's a big decision. So when I built up the kind of the side hustle income to a point where it far exceeded my salary, I felt comfortable going full time. And that's kind of a whole new book and whole new chapter, right? That's where things took off when I had full-time hours to throw at the business instead of trying to squeeze it in before and after work. But yeah, my wife and I worked the business together. And along the way, you know, I'm in all these forums, communities, and I'm seeing new people with the same questions I had a couple of years back. And I start just helping people, you know, for free, start getting my brain picked, you know, on the phone, you know, uh, by message, by text. And then later, it just it got to a point where I would help these people and then line them out on a direct mail campaign, picking a market, and then they would get a deal. And they, this was long before we had any education or training programs, right? And then they'd come to me and like, hey, it worked great. Like, right, I sent out this campaign. I got a deal. Like, um, you know, trouble is like, I don't have the 50 grand, right, to buy the $100,000 property. Would you partner with me? So it was kind of interesting because like very organically, just by goodwill, by helping people, all of a sudden I was funding deals, you know, just very organically. And that later led into, I kind of got a heart for teaching and, and really enjoy the teaching and training, maybe more than any of the businesses. So yeah, so I just started, um, we ended up formalizing a company, starting a training, education, coaching program. And then the funding company, which goes hands in hand, right? Like people, when they actually realize this model works, the next question is like, where do I get the money to do the deal, Right. So like one, you're providing a service, you're solving their problem, you're helping them. And then as you guys know, obviously that's like where the profit is, that the profit's not in hawking courses or training, like actually doing deals with your students. So for us, like that kind of led into us, like um, all of a sudden we go from like uh, W2 slave to full-time investor to then like player coach, right? We're like playing the game, investing, but also coaching, consulting, and then funding company. And that's kind of where we're at today is like we, we have our land business, have our education and training slash consulting. And then we have our funding company. Ton of synergy, right? Ton of synergy. They all work together. They all feed each other. It's almost for me like unbelievable from like 10 years, because it is about a decade now for me going back to that, like 10 years ago, hearing about this opportunity, which a lot of your listeners might be on a, po- a commute right now, listen to your podcast, hear about an opportunity. And at the time, my mind was like, man, if I could just get to 10 grand a month on the side, I could quit my job because that's what was driving me was like quitting the job. To go from there to achieving that, you know, and then all the milestones along the way, I'm just incredibly grateful, right, for land as an asset class and as an opportunity. Because as you guys know, like you, once you become an expert at something like you guys are at land and land flipping, it's really natural to then become a consultant, right, on it or a subject matter expert, right, and train. And then that presents opportunity like deal funding, right? So for us, it's fun because, man, at this point, I'm like doing every day, like I'm doing stuff I love to do. Like if you told me 10 years ago, instead of waking up, combing my hair, putting on dress shoes and going to a job that I would be like, uh, you know, I'd, I'd get to look at deals. I would get to like buy properties. I would get to teach somebody something, maybe help them move closer to quitting their job or building just a second income. Right. Um, and then partner on deals like it, it's it's incredible. So I'm yeah, I'm grateful, guys. I, I love this. And I know you guys are in a very similar spot where our our business models are very similar. Right. And the companies and entities we own. And the beauty is there's there's so much pie. There's so much market share to go around that we can do stuff like this where we can collaborate. Right. Because there's just an insane amount of opportunity. So, yeah, that's the 20 minute answer to your your 30 second question about who am I, right? It kind of started with W2, evolved a full-time investor, later educator, funder, and then trainer and, and creator is my favorite thing, Jaron. I know you're very creative, right? Like I like creating content. That's my favorite thing, you know? 
Yeah, man. You know, I, I got to say, you are a bit of a trendsetter in the land business. I want to highlight the fact and let everybody know. The blue ocean, red ocean. We, everyone says it. And you, you are the you, one that coined it. You didn't coin it, but you popularized yeah, it. Yeah. You, you brought that to the fold. And then you are also responsible for the range offer. No one else has ever, before you, no one else used that as a strategy or a term. So it's kind of a pivot between blind offers and neutral letters for those that might not know. It's nice because instead of having to get super granular on an exact specific offer amount, if you provide a range, it kind of still accomplishes the same effect of, hey, don't talk to me if you want full market value. But this is kind of, but it leaves it open ended enough where you're not cutting off as much opportunity as you do with a traditional blind offer. So you, sir, are a trendsetter. Yeah. I appreciate you acknowledging that, right? Because as we all know, there's a lot of echoes, right, out there. So yeah, some of these things, though, the the validation for that one was I had a community member post like a an offer from OfferPad or OpenDoor, right? I forget. One of those iBuyer companies. And they're like, dude, they sent me a range offer. Look at this. And that's what it was like. Hey, we will pay between X and Y for your house, right? And I thought, oh, that that's incredible because they realized, like, obviously, even looking at houses, like, we don't know the upgrades you have in your home, right? We know based on comps, the price per square foot in your zip code or subdivision, but nobody knows within the house what the upgrades are. So a range letter makes perfect sense when you're buying houses. So yeah, each thing was just like, as we ran into stumbling box within our own company or challenges, we'd be like, man, how do we solve this within our own business? And for me, it's like, I'm in a subdivision. There's too much variance with things, right? Like I can't get away with this blanket offer I used to. You know what I mean? So you, you kind of go, oh, how would I adapt that? So that's the fun part of it, I think, is like, like, but also drawing that distinction of like being an innovator and not a creator, right? And that many of these things, these strategies existed, direct mail existed, blind offers existed, letters of interest. It's just like recognizing the opportunity to, to innovate a little, you know what I mean? Like these small, small tweaks. So I, I wouldn't have thought of that without having used these other instruments that other people created. You know what I mean? So that's what keeps it interesting or, or keeps it fun is I honestly, guys, I don't have the discipline to do the same thing 15,000 or 20,000 times like others have. Like, I wish I could just say, all I do is blind offers. All I do is direct mail. And this is how it works. But like, for me to satisfy that entrepreneurial itch, I kind of got to, you know, get a little creative and do some subdivides, do some waterfronts, be in different markets. It just keeps it. So it doesn't feel like a job or monotonous of like the same thing, you know? So some, so that's where some of that comes from is solving your own problems, but also like looking for opportunity to create, to make it fun. Travis, I do want to touch on something you said earlier about education. So there's, there's this saying that kind of bothers me in the land space. People say, why dig for gold when you can sell the shovels, right? And it's, it's the idea that you you know it's smarter to get rich selling the products and services that help people do land flipping. And I'm telling you, I have run the numbers so many times and even if I were to charge 25 grand for 6 months of one-on-one coaching, my time is still worth more just doing deals and funding deals, right? And Travis, you've said it, Jaron says it and Clint just said it. The huge the real value in coaching students is not the fees that you collect on the front end. It's them bringing you deals and you doing deals with the student, right? And that's that's the wonderful thing about the running an education business is you get to do deals all over the country and you get to share your expertise with them and everyone wins. It's a win-win situation and there's plenty of pie for everyone. It aligns everybody's interest because it makes everything clean. Like if you guys, if your educator is willing to like, put in, get skin in the game, it means that he actually believes that he or she actually believes in the model and that they're actually doing deals. I think, you know, Clint mentioned in our former, or just our most recent interview with them, that you really want to look for that in an educator. If they were doing deals like five years ago and they, they haven't done their own marketing campaign in, you know, the last three to six months, really don't really want to work with them because they that what used to work probably doesn't work in today's climate and so it's just cleaner like it just it makes it 
like everything more above board or, you know, like a, a approach. Well, and it's less creepy that you guys direct messaging people on Facebook. Hey, I'll fund your deal. Hey, I'll fund you. <laughs> like if you run an education and you're helping people, right? It's really natural. That That's what I, what I talk about is like, for us, the, in hindsight, it seems brilliant, but just truthfully, like it was all organic. And I, and now I realize I could be intentional about replicating something like that. But for us, it happened organically where what we also saw with these other funders and you guys probably experienced with coaching is that there's this bridge that nobody knows about, right? Called the trust bridge. And that's the bridge between like land investor and then utilizing an awareness and actually utilizing other people's money. Okay. So when you're coaching and you're teaching and you're, and you're spending your time helping people, right? Actually helping them like dial in their campaign, craft their offer, get a deal. They know you're vested and, and you build trust and you get to know each other with time. Well, then you're the obvious choice as a resource to fund or partner on that deal, right? Like, why would they go use somebody off the street when you've already reviewed the deal with them and you're like, yeah, like I would do, I would buy that, right? It's worth this. Like, why would they go send that cold to somebody else? So that trust bridge that I didn't realize I was building because I was just helping later is what I realized you'll have like hedge funds. We've had a lot of people with money come in and try to create funding and capital companies, but there's a disconnect right? Like maybe they're way like in some big multifamily or commercial or something's too white collar for our land space. And there's a disconnect between them and the land investor, right? So I feel like coaching and helping people builds that kind of trust bridge to where it just makes sense to partner. But yeah, I w the other thing it does is you, you're fluent or current in markets. You have your finger on the pulse. So like when I, here, I'll, when I was a land investor, guys, I dabbled in a couple extra states as play, but I pretty much primarily was in three states when I was like actively land investing, okay? Because I wanted to canvas them. I wanted to know them well. But when I started funding, what I didn't expect like was that I would become a better investor because now I'm underwriting deals in 29 plus states. You know what I mean? So all of a sudden, like I'm learning West Virginia instead of just Arizona and you know what I mean? in Texas or Florida. So what I realized was that funding allowed me to, to learn new market, you know, all over the U.S. And so I, it actually made me a better land investor, a better educator, everything. So I'm with you. And you said, Clint said it. If I feel like one, like the, the individual, if they'll partner with you, if they're comfortable underwriting the deal, they'll probably have their pulse on the market and are current, right? And two, they actually have capital behind them. Whether it's their own money or a fund or it doesn't matter where you get your money, the reality is like there's some credibility to being able to somebody come into you, right? Like anybody could start coaching if they've done a handful of deals in theory, right? But like when somebody comes to you and is like, hey, Drew, I need 100K for this deal, buddy. It's worth 200, right? Like not everybody could wire 100K. So I think that credibility comes into play when people realize like, hey, this isn't just somebody hawking courses or education. You know what I mean? They can send a quarter million bucks if I find a deal or need it. So I, I love what you guys are doing. It's what it's, I mean, like I say, our business models are very, very identical. Jaron, like you said, everything aligns. You're transparent from the start. Everybody understands, right, what we're doing. And almost like at first I worried, like when I was like with our funding company, I kind of worried about like that I would be pushing it within our education or something hard, you know, and I didn't want to do that because I really wanted people like, Hey, if you got a rich uncle, go use him, right? Whatever. I don't care. But what I realized was like most people, it's like, they're looking for money. So you're not like spamming them going, Hey, like, by the way, when you're ready, we'll fund your deal. You're actually solving a problem or a concern they had in the back of their head and didn't want to mention anyway was, was, Hey, if I actually get a deal on the line, I don't have the capital, right? So truthfully, it's it's incredible. You're solving a problem, and you're you're not just that person that's hawking an outdated course. You know, perhaps you used to buy a thousand properties at an auction and sell them off one at a time, right? Like you're actually like, as you coach, you're going to learn new tools, even beyond your own tools that your clients use, right? You're going to learn new markets. So I love what you guys are doing. Like I say, it's very similar to what we do. And I, um, as long as you're like transparent out the gate, people can. People will appreciate it, you know, versus just the, the guru who's like refreshing a course or adding a new course. And now now we're doing assignments. Now we're doing like, you know, like assumable loans. Now we're teaching lease options. You know what I mean, Jaron? You know how that is where these educators just 
as the market shifts, they just come out with all these new products. And there's plenty of space. Right? Because they're not actually like doing what they're teaching. Travis, I've actually sent like three coaching leads your way because it wasn't a good fit for Jaren's offering. And so it's it's just a great it's a great point that there's so much room for everyone to win. And it doesn't have to be zero sum, right? You're probably the yeah, your your model is probably the most similar to ours. And yet we're talking and we're collaborating, we're sharing ideas. And I love it. Well, and and we could just admit, guys, I don't know about you, but like I don't have a hundred million behind me or in my account, right? So like I, I've got access to a large amount of capital, but not like billion bucks. I can't fund everybody's deal anyway. You know what I'm saying? So like there's there's obviously like there's no point in posturing, like obviously there's opportunity there, right? If things are a better fit or somebody's like, you guys are really into a specific state or market, and that's a state I don't have much experience in, it might make sense to hand somebody over to you guys or, or say, hey, do you have agents here? Why don't they work together? So you, you, when you make that shift from like competitive to collaborative, then you, I think it just opens things up a lot. Um, I think the challenge that you'll, you'll find as we found along our journey, the only challenge or counter to, to that is as you build all this intellectual property, like you're building, right? Training and coaching, you guys launched a community, kind of becomes your baby. And you do get a little like sensitive about like people coming in and spamming and yeah, jumping in day one. Hey, I'll fund your deal. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and you go, wait a minute, I don't want you here to harvest my leads. You know, like this is my baby. So that's the only thing I would say, like where, yeah, you, you, it makes more sense to be collaborative, but at the same time, as we know, when you put a ton of work into something, you want people to be, to understand that. Because as you guys know, launching up and standing a community, it's easy for somebody to log in, sign up, boom, they're in the community like, oh, this is slick. This looks great. They have no idea the, the hundreds of man hours behind that that it probably took. Right, Jared? I did want to, I did have a question for you, Travis. But before I ask that question, I've been burning to talk about this. One of your primary strategies that you've like innovated and brought to the forefront of the land investing community is the uh, portfolio owner strategy. So essentially doing certain tweaks within your data service provider software to intentionally target people that own more than two land properties, right? Have you ever messed around with PropStream? Oh yeah. Yeah. I got, it's one of my eight data sources. Yeah. I, I use it as one of the modules for, for that. Yeah. Nice. Well, I guess it took away the thunder from my big reveal, but I was going to show you. Go ahead. Yeah. In PropStream. It's very cool because you can just toggle on properties owned two or more, and then you have a portfolio owner list just by the click of a button. Minimum number owned. That's a key field. That's why when people play with all these, right now there's like an emergence of all these free data sources and, and most of them are geared towards houses, right? Very limited filters on land. And that's the difference between what you get with like paid services and free is additional filters or granular, like you're saying, right? Something like that, where you could say like one or two or more properties. You know what I mean? Those little, a little filled, a little filter on a paid software versus a free one is incredible. So yeah, you'll, you'll notice this from data source to data source. There's, there's these little fields. There's just these little slight differences that are, it's the whole small hinges swing big doors that can have incredible difference. And yeah, this is free. You're paying a penny a record over here, but this allows you to pull multifamily zone land or, you know what I mean? Or, or whatever. But the, the targeting portfolio or duplicate owners was one of those things where like every time somebody talks about it or I mention it, one, I feel good about innovating and spearheading it. But two, I always feel dumb. It took me so long. Okay, because like it's this obvious thing that was there forever and it's so status quo. You know what I mean? It was just so status quo of every course you went through. They're like, you know, we scrub out duplicate owners because we wouldn't want to send 10 letters to the same person. And, you know, immediately you nod your head like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? Like makes a lot of sense. And I've since, uh, and the funny thing is we, the ironic thing is we bought from a portfolio owner early on, very early on, we didn't have the capital um, we just identified him as a byproduct of like a countywide mailer to single owners and then said, hey, do you own any more? He said, yes. He had a bunch. He had 130 properties. I have nowhere near the capital buy those and they all weren't for sale. But 
So we started like buying them in batches and it was more like, hey, he, he wanted to test us out. And we were thrilled because at the time <laughs> we didn't have the money to buy everything all at once in one swoop anyway, right? So I was like, yeah, that's fine. We could do a test or two, right? The reality is we didn't have the money to buy everything. So we bought them in like batches and we signed this like release contract where he would release so many, right? And then we were buying them, turn around and listing them and seeing if they sell. Because if they moved, we could turn around and spend that money to buy more. But as we did that, even then, I didn't recognize the opportunity. We did this a couple more times. And then I had a coaching client bring a large portfolio to me. And the ironic thing, it was the same individual I had bought from years and years ago, working the same county as me. And I'm like, what's up, dude? Like, why wouldn't Glenn sell to me? Why is he willing to sell you these 30? They weren't available two years ago when I was working with him. So the funny story behind that is like, so the guy says, well, I guess he wants to do a 1031 now. He's getting rid of all this land he bought at tax auctions. And now he wants to move it into some houses, right? So it was just this thing where like, and then I realized like the, to get intentional about this, like what if instead of scrubbing out all the duplicate owners, what if we only pulled data sets of duplicate owner, right? And it changed everything because we started to get these little packages, whether they're as small as three properties at once or 10 or 20 at once, right? Like that one was like, a, he had 30 available. We disqualified 10, bought 20 for 192. List price was 525 combined, right? So it was like, you can't replicate that deal, but like you could replicate going after duplicate owners. So for us, it was really an epiphany, right? Of all of a sudden, I would pull this data and instead of deleting the duplicate, I would segment it. And I'm like, that's who I'm going to mail, right? So for me, that was a big, yeah, that was a really big find, but it was just right there in front of our nose forever. And you talk to one seller, you pay one escrow, and you get, you know, maybe as little as two or three properties, but also maybe 10 or 15, right? It was, it was just an incredible find for us. It was like, like subdividing in a way where all of a sudden, like you're adding a new tool to your tool belt. You know, and it's just a, a game changer. So any data sources that allow you to target duplicate owners, right? That's incredible. Not all of them do. Not all of them have that ability. Just like not all of them have the ability to pick by specific zoning, you know? So there's these very small things within your data set can have a huge impact. I like your analogy that small hinges open a large door. Well, you already knew about PropStream. So it's good for the audience, but I thought I was going to be able to share something with you. That would be like, oh, no way. That's awesome. But. Well, the difference between PropStream Property Radar and is Property Radar the output? They give you latitude, longitude. PropStream does not, which drives me crazy. That is a negative. It drives me crazy. They don't give Latin long, which we know, right? Looking up land. Like, you can get it. Like you can find it by clicking on like the Google image. Individually. But, yeah, but is yeah, it exported columns, right? Is export. So it drives me crazy, but it's not like the price guys where I can shoot them a text and say, hey, will you add this PropStream like for some reason, they're not returning my calls, right? So <laughs> I put in that feature request though. Well, I wanted to ask you a question after that big reveal. Unrelated, but I just, just have in mind, I wanted to talk through it. So when we talked to Justin Sleva the other day, Drew and him were going back and forth on the in, like the details of running a fund or, you know, like Drew, did, we don't have a fund in place uh, right now. It's pretty much Drew. And then he has a couple people in his network that he has, you know, one-off you know, arrangements with and what have you. But I wasn't able to ask my question during that conversation because the topic moved on. But because you also run a fund, I thought it would make sense to, to bring this question to you. So excuse my ignorance here, but as I understand how a fund works, at least in the model of a an apartment syndication, you have like the operators that run the day-to-day -day of the fund. And then you have the private money lenders that are, you know, normally the profits are split 50-50 between the two departments. And you might have four people in the day-to-day -day operations. And then you might have somewhere between, you know, 20 to 100 plus on the passive investment, the investor side. So to me, that sounds like inherently the model means that no matter how you slice it, 50% of your profit is gone to private money investors. But Justin was saying that, well, it just depends on where you, you know, if you source money outside of the land world, you can get it cheaper. But can you speak to that? I don't know. I don't really see how that's 
I still feel like even if you had a bunch of people on the private in, like investor side or the passive investor side, even if you were paying them out 15% or 10%, you, it would still be at a high level, a 50-50 cut of the total profit, right? So like, what do you guys do? Do you guys have a fund? You know, can you speak to that? Absolutely. So we, we've researched this a lot and like what you're, why a lot of people will, you know, be dodgy, right? Like obviously nobody wants to bring attention, you know, to what they're doing or what their current structure is, if there's any, right? But sometimes like a syndicate is tied to a project, okay? Like Drew, like multifamily, right? Like, hey, we're buying like this 40 unit multifamily complex, right? Like get in on the opportunity, right? Like that fund might be tied to that project. Hey, we're doing this, this big Texas subdivide right? Like get in on this project. Like you're associated with that fund, that project, right? That's different, right? Right. That's different than like a fund, right? Like fund managers, right? Drew and Jaron, you know, they go out and they raise capital. Okay. You guys go out and you raise 10 million bucks and then you charge like a fund management fee, right? You guys are fund manager. You know what I'm saying? So like you guys would charge a percentage to manage the fund, Okay, you use the fund money to fund your investor deals. There's a dozen different ways to do it. But no, like the, the half down the middle is like probably like as far as with securing private capital or accredited like investors, you're not paying half down the middle. With there, There's plenty of white coats that would be thrilled with. I mean, there's plenty of white coats and white collars that would be thrilled with, you know, 12 to 14 to 15 percent. Like it's not you're not your capital is going to get cheaper when you actually you're like start a fund and raise money from a fund, but you're also now going to be like looked at differently, right? So there's a number of different ways to structure it, whether you're private, like you guys, friends, yourself, friends, family, fools, right? Kind of fund where it's like, not really fund, it's like a pool of capital, right? That's where you start, you know? And then as far as like the fund, other people find rather than creating a big fund and then funding an excessive number of small deals, right? You know what I mean? It would make more sense to create a fund and do like a big subdivide project based. So it's really like what your what your goals are. But the challenge will be probably as you grow, what we've seen is that you actually like once you get access to money, people will want to give you more than you're comfortable with committing to or spending. Right. So imagine a year and a half ago, the market's rocking and rolling. Right. COVID's cranking and everything's going up. And you guys are like, oh, we're genius. Every deal we're doing, we're getting in, we're, we're incredible. Right. And then you go get all this money. Right. You go get all this money and there's a cost to it. And then the market, boom, the market shifts. Days in the market increases. Things slow down. You've got all this money. Right. So there's considerations. Right. And it's all dialed into like how conservative you are. What are your goals? How do, there's so many ways to structure it, but um, you literally can just run it. I would say like mom and pop will get you pretty far. You're right. And then if you actually, you got to make the decision. Do you want to, what are you, tr- what are you trying to do? Because for us, we were in a situation where we had people want to get like, we had a fund come to us. We have two different funds come to us. Like, and they're like, Hey, we want to put this money behind you. And it was like, can you commit? The first one was like, can you commit to 600 transactions a year? <laughs> right. And it's like, all right, guys, that looks great on your spreadsheet, right? And your boardroom type of situation. But no, like I left a job where I had to go sit in meetings in a boardroom, right? Like I'm not going to take on money and have it the tail wagging the dog. You know what I'm saying? So I would just say like model it around what you're trying to accomplish and build, right? Like you'll probably find um, a handful a very accredited investors would bring you as much capital as you'd need versus like some big fund collecting a, a quarter from thousands of people. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, so yeah, I just say model it around. Everything we do is like, not like, can it be done, but more like, is this what we want to do? And do we feel comfortable with this or will it, will it change my life? You know, like meaning like, do I get to spend more time with the kids and at their ball games if I do this or less? So for me, even taking on more outside money, we're really deliberate about the size we stay. And it's not because we don't know how to move up three or four rungs on the ladder. It's because when things like this, when markets shift, we were unaffected, 100% using all our own money, right? There was no, like, we didn't know anybody. You know what I'm saying? So it was like, that was a very conservative and careful, deliberate decision we made to not take on all that excess money. Um, And we had no idea the market would shift like it has. 
but yeah, there's considerations, you know, it, it's honestly, um, trust me, everybody will be happy to, to charge you a small fee, have a discovery call and help you set up a fund. It's just more of like, what are you guys trying to build? How big do you want it to get? Do you want to keep it like something where you're in control or where somebody's kind of driving you is kind of my perspective on it. You know, it's interesting. I didn't learn this until I started doing it, but a lot of money, actually all money has strings attached, these little emotional strings, right? And so if investor A sends me 100K, they text me, they ping me once a quarter to make sure I'm still alive. And then investor B sends me 100 grand and they text me every single week because they're, they're lying awake in bed worrying about it. There's a huge value difference in that money, right? And it's incredible how big of a deal it is, you know, bigger funds, because now I'm in the multifamily world. And by the way, a little side note, this is just a data point doesn't mean what we do is the norm we offer. And don't quote me on this. This is what I believe is true. Try to follow SEC compliance, but we offer 10% pref and then it's split 50-50 on top of that. So if we average 40% a year, our investors would get 10% plus half of the next 30%, right? So they get 25% annual return a year. And then the general partners, which is us, we would get 15. So that's just a little side point. Yeah, there's there's just a number of ways to structure it. I think quite often people just, you know, the first challenge, right, is like, oh, how do I find the money? And then once you build the network and have access to the money, it's like, how much do I want to take on? And what are the terms? Like you're like you're getting at is there's a there's a cost, not just a cost of capital, meaning a percentage. There's a cost. Like you're saying, am I going to be getting texts every week? Like, hey, how's that deal or that fund I invested in? Or is it more like, hey, here's the money. I don't I don't care for six months. You're not going to hear from me. Right. So it's yes, yeah, whatever you're whatever you're trying to do. The, the point is, I think, for most people, the takeaway for people who aren't building a fund, but maybe are utilizing the fund or deal funding is just that once you understand how you minimize risk by leveraging other people's money, right? And how it allows you the velocity, how it allows you to accelerate or ascend upward within your business versus the buying, the self-funding and buying outright. You know what I mean? It's just incredible. You're just very limited when you go, okay, I'm going to use my own money. I'm going to put into this deal. Now I've got to list this. And as soon as it sells, I'll recycle, right? It's just, you can only grow so fast, right? And you're really just tied to your own limited means. So for me, it took a, one, it took a while to like, for that to click, leveraging other people's money. Cause I looked at it as like giving away some of the deal. Well, like, you know, there was deals I wasn't doing because I didn't have the capital. So it didn't make any sense to think like that, but it was a bias. So something I didn't, a limiting belief, I guess not about that. I, I didn't think so. Like for people just understanding, you know, like that, there is capital out there, like what you guys are doing, right? Like there is capital out there. It's going to put you, one, if you didn't have capital, it's an obvious choice. Two, you get a second set of eyes. It removes some risk from you. You don't have to go ask your wife if you can get a HELOC to do this, your first land deal, right? Like, you know what I mean? You've got these two pros like reviewing your deal and approving it, which validates that you found a good deal. And you're not risking that. So the, leveraging other people's money is incredible. And you'll find this is what everybody does at every level. It's just how cheap is the money? There's nobody not doing it, right? It's just like, you know, it's just how cheap is the money they're gaining access to, you know? And, and it's very, I have a number of coaching clients I've been coaching long enough where like people would leverage funding until they can self-fund. And then they would do that until all of a sudden they can fund deals, right? And I've actually helped clients start their own funding companies, right? So that's uh, talking about collaborative and not competitive, right? Like, well, that's what we do. But like, there's there's just so much to go around. But that's kind of like the journey, right? For a land investor, if you can go from like side hustle to full time, right? And then then later to where like, maybe you're partnering and doing some deal funding, you know, you're and leveraging other people's money. And then maybe you're at a point where you can do your own deals. And then maybe you get to a point where you can do your own deals and partner with other people, right? So I think power of other people's money is just, it just changed everything for us. And it puts some confidence behind you too, when you're everything from your tonality, when you're talking to sellers, Instead of like going like, if they say yes, where do I get the money? <laughs> right? To all of a sudden you're like, you're speaking confidently because you know you got, you, you dug your well before you're thirsty. You know, you've got access to that capital. So yeah, it, it's just incredible. When we started, it wasn't available. Everything was like, 
I would talk to somebody about how many transactions I've done, what I've done. And then as soon as like, you know, I said land, it was like, oh, you know, they were all like private money house guys, right? They're like land. Nobody wants to get stuck with that. So everybody listening now, you're coming into this at an amazing time, right? There wasn't always five, 10, 20 different choices to get your land deal funded, right? Like this was a tough sell. Like I literally built pitch decks, credibility kits, took courses on like other people's money, right? Like all this cheesy stuff. And it's laughable now, right? But that's how hard it was to try to find other people's money for land. So people listening, man, it's, this is a tool that goes underutilized because people are either unfamiliar or scared or think they're giving up some of the deal, right? But I say do bigger deals. Like when people go, well, I got to do twice as many deals. It's like, no, do deals that are two to four times bigger than you're currently doing. And then the cutting in half doesn't, you know what I mean? Like it computes. You're actually walking away with more than you currently are if this outside capital lets you do bigger deals, right? You know, Travis, we have got 10 minutes left. I've been actually waiting to ask you this question this whole time because I'm really curious. Jaron works with his wife. They both work in the land business, but they're fairly compartmentalized. And I think that's great. When you work with your wife, Travis, let's say at the beginning, because I'm sure you guys have very segregated duties now. At the beginning, I just imagine you lay down in bed and it's quiet. You're about to fall asleep. And then somebody says, hey, did you record that deed? How does that impact your marriage? And does it make it better or worse? Is it just, can you compartmentalize you know, the business marriage versus the relational marriage? How does that work? Yeah, well, I'll start with saying like a lot of the time, I, I'm I'm really avid book reader. When I say that, I cheat. I listen to audiobooks. I don't read them. But I so I follow all these entrepreneurs and they always have these like beautiful routines. Like here's my morning routine. You know, here's what I do right after I have like my kale smoothie. I do yoga and meditate. And I like, think I tried to model that when I was a W-2 employee and building a side hustle. I think I tried to model myself off of some of that. And then I realized like, dude, I'm a dad. I'm a husband with kids. Like my kids bombing and kid might get sick in the middle of the night or might come jump on and wake me up. Like routine, good luck with the routine thing. You do your best, right? So reality for me was like, what does an entrepreneur look like for me? You know, and then I'd hear these people say, you got to set these boundaries between your marriage and your work. You know, 10 years into it, what I'd say like, my wife and I were just before this call, we're on a walk. We were talking about land for 90% of the, the walk. Okay. So like when we started, when I very first started, I was talking to her about the idea, like, yeah, we're talking about rural vacant land at bedtime. Like how sexy is that? Right? Like that sets the tone, the mood. Right? So like early on, she was like, oh my gosh. And then obviously once it became a business and such a source of income, I'm fortunate because her background was real estate. So I like, I'm a little spoiled there because, you know, she's MBA, she's, she's worked for a mortgage company, like her branch, like she led her branch to be the top producer in the state. And then later the entire nation. Right. So like, as far as me leaning on her, she's the operator of three of our companies. You know, like I would legitimately have to hire an operator for, you know, COO or operator for three different entities that she runs all three because of how capable she is. But for us, unique to your personal relationship, right? Like for us, we're, we're very close. So for us, no, there's no lines. That's what I'll say. There's no lines at all of like, hey, this is off limits. It's like when we're doing kid stuff, we're, I'm present. She's present. We're doing that, right? But it's, we don't be like, oh, we're, it's date night. We're not going to talk about land. Like, I mean, I think that stuff sounds good in books and, and speeches and stuff. But like the reality is like, if you're both vested, you know, you're both vested and in it and you both enjoy it and you want to see it grow, you don't resent the business or one spouse doesn't resent it. There's no reason to model it, to think it has to be like this perfect situation. Like for us, it's not. It's like, there's times where like, she's like, okay, can we turn land off? Right. And there's times where I'm like, you know what I mean? There's times where I'm like, okay, I need to turn land off, but there's no perfect arrangement. You know what I mean? It's like falls under everything else in marriage, right? It's best effort, right? It very closely resembles my dynamic with Asiya. For a long time, we were in the trenches together, both in the land business and then before that at Simple Wholesaling, doing deals. Pretty much our entire marriage, we've worked together, except for just like a, a small beginning season. And we have strict boundaries on Saturday to for the practice of like Sabbath, 
we don't talk about work and we keep each other accountable to say, hey, we're not, that's work mode. We're not talking about that today. But outside of that, it's free game. I mean, literally back at, in our simple wholesaling days, she would be on her laptop and I'd be on my laptop in the bed every single night talking to leads and talking about properties. And I think especially more in the house wholesaling slash house flipping world, it's much more lifestyle oriented. Like land is nice because you can afford more of a life, but you know, when that world, it's a lot more cutthroat. So if you're hired on as the yeah, yeah, there's a sense of urgency with everything, like, you know, with everything. So, yeah. So I, I'm with you. I think it's fine to land. There's a little more grace. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a little bit more breathing room. It's not perfect, right? You do your best. And early on, it was just like kind of like identifying. Fortunately, we don't like have the same skill sets so that you naturally can kind of carve out your own lanes, right? Where she's like, you can be the singing, dancing monkey in front of the camera. I have no interest, you know, but on the, on the back end of things like I wouldn't get notary signed. We wouldn't get transaction closed. Dates would slip because I just love to capture equity. I'm an acquisitionist. Like I love the, the data, the marketing and acquiring and capturing equity. The second after we sign the purchase agreement, open escrow, like I don't care. I could care less. You know what I mean? Like honestly, so she moves the ball down the field from there all the way through disposition and sale. Right. So you've got to find what like works. But like when we started, like she would review properties or due diligence. And she's like, I don't like this. Like, I don't want to look at the maps. I don't want to look for road access or wetlands, these things. Right. So we're like, OK, well, there's no point in having you do something that's not your love language. Right. Like if you would prefer to talk to title companies and, and escrow officers. Right. That role or this that makes more sense. That's why coaching you both. You guys love coaching and it's such a Maybe I'm a villain or something or just narcissist or something wrong with me. But when I, in the few times I've tried coaching just for free, because I've never charged for it, it is the most exhausting thing I've ever tried because it's a mindset. You're really just a counselor helping people shift their mindset, right? Because once they learn how to click the buttons and send mail, it, all it is is just shifting their mindset, helping them to think abundantly. And I think that's a very special skill you guys have. I love wiring money and... I don't even think about it. it. It goes away for a few months and then it comes back and it's more. And that's, I think that's my superpower. But kudos to the two of you. I think you guys are adding so much value to this industry. And Travis, I just went through your coaching, uh, what, just a few weeks ago, right? Yeah, yeah. We talked about some of those things Jaron touched on, the targeting duplicate owners, targeting waterfront only properties, right? Some of those campaigns, big league seller financing, some of the like, creating notes, 250 to 1,000 a month, right? Like those were some of the things we covered. Yeah, in that in that coaching. And Drew brought some great insight into like what funders look for underwriting a deal, you know, a number of those things. Yeah, I like the training side of it. I think the, just for me, like you, you can just have an impact on somebody's life. So at the end of the day, like obviously the transactions are incredible, right? Like you need that, that's oxygen, right? You need that. But like, there's just a situation where if you could actually help somebody like, leave a job they're unhappy with or build a second stream of income for a job that's uncertain. You know what I mean? They don't know if it's going to be there, right? Um, you truly have an impact. That person's going to remember you, know you, talk about you their entire life, right? You know what I mean? So it, it's like, it's. I think that's the impact part of it. It can become very transactional once, you're, once you've got the system, the machine built, you know, um, but you've got to do, like I said, it's just self-assessment. Like, hey, what do I like? I don't need to copy what you do and you don't need to copy what Jaron does or I do, right? It's like, what works for my personality? So that's why for me is like building this business. It's not like, hey, I want to go start a brokerage and have 12 employees and then scale it up and, and franchise and have all these locations. And it's like, how would that impact my life as a dad and husband, right? So for me, it's like, I want to build the businesses like, around me in my life right so i think that's the main thing is like just just knowing yourself authentically who you are and what business works for you and what commitments right like what what do you want to be part of what part of the business what do you want to do what role like excites you and which one do you like dread because if you dread things on your calendar right then you got to need to move towards a, a state where you drop those things or somebody else is doing those things right but you should look forward to your day. I mean, if you dread your calendar, dread what you're doing, it should be because you're like are going to a W-2. Like if you build your own business and you dread some of the stuff you're doing, 
You need to be using like you guys as outsource. You know what I mean? You need to be outsourcing or delegating or have somebody else on the team do it if you hate it. Because that's the beauty of starting your own thing is like, you know what I mean? You're the boss. You're in charge. So if you don't architect or, or build it right, it can look a lot like a job, right? If, you, <laughs> if you're not intentional about what you build, man, it, it can feel like work. Well, we're at the hour mark, sir. I'll land the plane on this one, but I hope to have you on in the future. If you got anything new and exciting that you want to bring to the audience. Oh, how can people find you? Yeah, I'll give you both. I'll answer both. I do have something new and exciting. Something I have been working on for about two and a half to three years is a book. By the time this probably drops, it'll probably be live. TheLandInvestorsPlaybook.com is really like through some of those trainings we were talking about, you know, the, the targeting duplicate owners, the targeting waterfront properties, subdividing, seller financing, all these things, that, these plays that my wife and I added to our own playbook that was honestly more like a, a Google sheet, right? Or a napkin scratch of play. I had the vision to like build an actual playbook. And I went down the conventional route of, and guys, keep in mind, this was pre, we weren't deep faking and creating ringless voicemails, right? Like this is conventional, like actually like writing the book and publishing it conventionally. So this isn't writing an ebook with AI in a weekend, you know, like this, this was um, a big, way bigger undertaking than I realized because I was ignorant to it, right? The process. But yeah, I've got a book coming out called The Land Investor's Playbook. And it's going to be like, it's just going to share six or seven of my favorite plays and for people to, to scale their land business, kind of beyond that micro flip, you know, these additional strategies. So that's kind of probably the most exciting project I've been working on or something that like I'm finally bringing to a completion, you know, which is exciting. And then as far as getting a hold of me, you can, you can check out travisking.com or landinvestingmastery.com are probably the, the best websites. Solid. We'll have those in the show notes. Travis, if there's anything in the future that you got going on, you'd like to bring to our audience, you have an open door to come on the podcast in the future, my friend. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys. Impressed with what you're doing over there and wish you tons of prosperity and growth, man. I think it's awesome. The space has so much room for authentic people doing things for the right reason, right? There's just so much market share out there that I'm thrilled to see you guys in it. Awesome. Well, thank you. 